0: Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Miles Hunter, co-founder and CEO of TutorMe, a revolutionary online education platform that provides on-demand tutoring and online courses in this episode, we talk about a wide variety of topics, including how Miles started this company, finding his co-founder in Russia through AngelList, how they built a business while really working around the world in a number of different countries, the go-to-market strategy they ultimately used for TutorMe, what the initial product looked like, his experience raising capital and going through the launch accelerator, which is Jason Calacanis's accelerator, raising $1.3 million early on, and then going through how he started an ambassador program at Lyft while a student at USC, an incredible story. All that and more in this episode. As always, these show notes are at discogrind.com podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure gave clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Miles Hunter, co-founder and CEO of TutorMe. Miles, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Great to be here. Happy to have you on, and obviously talking about TutorMe and your journey with this, and and with TutorMe. I mean, what are you working on with this today? What is the company doing today?
1: So we're providing students um, all across the country in Canada with the opportunity to f- match with a tutor in less than thirty seconds across all subjects. Um, so we're doing this from kindergarten all the way through graduate school.
0: With that as well, Miles, I know that it's been a number of years you've been in this company already. Obviously, you started a company in 2015, I think it was. Take me through then, like why did you start this company in the first place, Miles?
1: Yeah, so I think it's helpful to to start off with our junior year of of, of college, founders and I, um, where we we actually reached out to. Um, at the time lyft was just getting started the the transportation company and lyft was coming from san francisco to los angeles uh, we were students at the university of southern california and at the time uber was really aggressive in the campus campus scene and they were starting to create ambassador programs where you would get a commission for every new user um, and we saw that as a great opportunity during the summer of 2012. Um, so we decided to we decided to reach out to Lyft um, with a similar um, kind of referral program where we would reach out to them, to tell them, you know, we can create an ambassador program for you guys. They were much of a, much a leaner, smaller team than Uber was. And so we thought that they might be open to it. Um, they ended up being open to it. They let us run with it. And that was kind of our first taste of startup life. Um, we were going into our senior year in college. So didn't have a lot of business experience uh, besides some, some internships. And so we were, running the ambassador program at usc and then we did really well so lyft wanted us to do all of los angeles and then we ended ultimately ended up um, that following academic year uh, running it nationally having thousands of ambassadors under us um, we we did very well financially we had a lot of fun we learned a lot about marketing and growth tactics and how how a team that's growing so fast like lyft um faces a ton of growing pains and we we're really excited by it um, so Towards the end of the the, the school year, um, we were actually offered a job um, to go up to San Francisco. We really didn't want to, um, but we had this brainchild in the back of our minds of of creating a company that would be able to really meet this need of finding an affordable tutor uh, and not having to and not having to go through the inconvenience of having on-campus tutoring or finding an outsourced tutor that you have to pay for. So we decided to build uh Tutor Me, uh, as we were starting our jobs after college here in Los Angeles. And so that's kind of how it all got started. Um, and we were able to find an angel investor that was willing to take the plunge with us. And then we went off to, to building the company.
0: With that as well, just real quick, going back to, you didn't want to join the company in the Bay area. Why was it at that time? You didn't want to, I mean, you're doing well with them and their ambassador program. What about it was that you just like wanted to do your own thing. I'm curious.
1: It it was simply just that we didn't want to live in San Francisco. We were just all LA natives and didn't want to go to SF.
0: That's fair. Great place to be in LA I'm also yeah. in Los Angeles. <laughs> and in those early days, you mentioned getting the angel investor. How'd that come about, Miles?
1: So it was a family friend. Um, this was a pre-seed. So we we were kind of pitching the idea to family and friends. We had a family friend in the UK that was, that was very interested in the idea, mainly because he actually didn't graduate high school and he felt that a big part of it was not having academic support um he obviously ended up being um very very successful um, but he felt that he would have graduated high school if he had the support he needed so it really resonated with him and so he decided to to invest with us and we had enough enough of investments where we all quit our, our jobs i was working in management consulting and um i was there for about eight months and then that's when we we left and started working full-time on tutoring
0: and you say we obviously so who was the the co-founders with you how did you build that initial team then to take this idea even from an idea to actually start working on it as a company
1: Yeah so there was there's a couple of co-founders um, one of them being um, Ari Stegler who was uh, part of the initial team um, and he, we we really we built the lift ambassador program together so we we worked very closely we were also roommates in college and roommates all the way through for many years through true to me um, and then we uh, we, we needed a technical co-founder um, kind of early on. And so we ended up uh, going through a lot of interviews here of people in LA, um, you know, tech talent here at the time was was very sparse. And we decided to actually go online to AngelList and start searching for a technical co-founder that would, would help us out. And we ended up finding Victor Katsuruba uh, in Moscow. And we uh, we've been working together ever since.
0: Okay, there's a lot more to dig into on that side of things with with the co-founder. Yeah. I know I want to I want to hear more. So uh, on that note, then first off, why did you decide to go through AngelList? I mean, were there other places you had looked for? You know, thinking of where you're going to find this co-founder? I'm curious about that.
1: Yeah, we felt that we we also tried LinkedIn. We we looked at a lot of different routes. Um, we felt that AngelList was was a great ecosystem for for folks that are. Not risk averse and are going to be willing to take a plunge with you into a startup. So it was just a great place for finding folks of the right skill set. And we started just messaging people, and it it all started with you know a a, uh, I don't know if it was Zoom at the time, but it was a video call with Victor um, very early on.
0: And from that too, I mean, in having those those discussions and reaching out to people. What well, you're just pitching your idea of like, hey, we have this idea. We've been working on it for a little bit. We had this much traction. Like, What went into that pitch to even gauge, you know, get some interest for a, a co-founder joining your team?
1: So we first started off by just thinking, um, it was kind of naive of us, thinking that just pitching our idea, um, somehow someone is going to be willing to, to put in some sweat equity for, for a month or two to to build an MVP. And we, we realized that that wasn't really working that well. Um, so then we decided to, to change it up a little bit and say, you know, we want to work with you for a month or two, uh, on a contractual basis, they would get paid for their efforts. Um, but then afterwards that the goal, it wasn't supposed to be a transactional relationship. The goal of it was to ultimately become a co-founder of TutorMe and that worked a lot better.
0: Yeah. And I know you, you know, from just kind of doing some research around it, like you actually went to Russia as well to kind of collaborate and take me through that process of you deciding, okay we're gonna, like, this is the guy and we're gonna go to Russia. And like, I'm just curious on the, take me through how that went initially, what your thoughts were around that as well, Miles?
1: Yeah, so at the time we, um, Ari and I were living um, here in LA together, uh, we had another co-founder, Alex Convery, who's working with us, who went to USC with us. And we were all working here in LA um, and I was um, effectively the VP of product. I was working on all things product and, and Alex was working on all things, um, all things sales even though there wasn't really a product at the time <laughs> i'm kind of just developing what, what our plan would be and then i worked very closely with victor um he would actually work our hours so um we would work long days and then victor would be in his time zone i um, pretty much uh, up all night and so we worked together for that one or two months i think it was about um, it was about 60 days or so and we we really liked our working relationship he was he was doing a really great job and um, we built something that was um kind of an mvp really really fast and so we decided the best way to work together would be obviously to meet and start working and there was really nothing for me to do in la um business wise because we were still building a product it still wasn't released to customers so i decided to to go out to moscow and live there for four months not in the winter um, <laughs> and working with working with Victor and another engineer that we started working with Igor. And so the two of them and then me, we're all working together in Moscow. And there's a, there's a lot to unpack about living in Moscow for four months as an American with only Russian engineers. And we, um, we ended up actually being there for, for four months and the winter started coming. And they had said that they, every summer, every winter, they go to Bali. And we kind of, before they became things like kind of like, Uh, hacker houses we ended up going down to a villa in bali and living there for four months and then we kind of really enjoyed um the working relationship and the ability to just work all day or all night and being there together living and working together and it just worked so well um for the most part um there's obviously times where it, it becomes tense but uh we decided to kind of just do that for for quite a while
0: what were your, your, your family members or your friends saying about, yeah, miles is off in Russia for four months or miles is in Bali working. I mean, what were they saying? I'm just curious.
1: Um, it was either, you know, some people I think um, felt that we were a bit lost in what we want to do in life. Um, and I, then I think, uh, I think others, uh, just maybe saw it as some kind of, uh, some kind of scheme to say that I'm working and maybe just being in a nice, beautiful place. I think that, you know, that's the kind of the pessimist side, but I think, you know, some people did, did understand that we were, we were trying to build something and it takes some time and really the most effective way of, of building a product like this, which is pretty complex is to, to work all alongside each other. And that wasn't possible um, here in the U S due to like visa reasons and things like that. So I, I, I took it upon myself to, to bounce around and travel with, uh, travel
0: with the Russians. Amazing. And in that time as well, i would read that it took, you know, it took a year, a year and a half before you actually launched the product in that time then. So you're building this product with your, your team, your growing team. You have an idea for what this is going to be. You had obviously raised a little bit of pre-seed money. Then Taming through the kind of the initial go-to-market strategy. What are you doing to acquire customers in the early days?
1: Yeah. So it took a lot longer to, to launch the product than we wanted to. It's that was a combination of, of me running product and and not having a lot of product experience and also not iterating and releasing product. And we were just really passionate about creating something perfect. And that ultimately led to us just holding it before release a lot longer than we should have. Um, but in the end, um, we, we, we thought that they were the best way to work with, with schools, which was our business model that we wanted to do. We wouldn't, we didn't want to create a consumer product initially um, that students would have to pay for. Um, we know college students are already um, for the most part, pretty broke um, and, and don't have uh, the means to to pay for tutoring out of pocket. So we wanted, and they're already indirectly or, or directly paying for a school. Typically it's very expensive. So we wanted to actually create the business model from the very beginning in that it, we work directly with schools, um, colleges specifically that would be paying for the services and then the students would be getting it fully subsidized. So we decided we wanted to do this, um, very initially for K-12 school districts. And the, the idea was that, you know, we have to earn a lot of credibility. Um, we looked very young, especially Alex, who was going to be running sales. Um, he looked somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15. Um, and so it was, it was really that we needed to earn credibility. We wanted to get um, our name out there. So we decided to build, and that's what Alex was doing actually before we were able to launch a product. He was working with an animation team that we had in-house and in building an ACT course. And we wanted to build the first of its kind where it would be fully animated and very engaging. And then we did that for GRE as well. And we kind of used that as to get our foot in the door with a lot of these very bureaucratic school districts. and these school districts would be maybe open to working with us if we had given them an ACT course to all their students for free. And then we would ask them to put the ACT course badge that we had for TutorMe, which had our URL in it, and put that into the footer of their page. And a lot of education sites, they have really great domain authority. So it was just gonna be a a great SEO juice uh, for us. And then after they used our ACT course, they really loved it. we would, we would explain to them that we have online tutoring and that just really massaged the whole process and allowed us, um, it didn't work for every school. Um, but it was something that earned us a lot of credibility.
0: Yeah. Difficult to, to gain that initially, like you mentioned, breaking into this type of, of industry, the talking with these types of folks to have like, Oh yeah, here's our little, our, our team. We're going to, we're going to come in and help you and be able to help all your students with, with this as well. Like take me through then you mentioned the building this product took a long time, but what was More on the product itself. What was the product initially? And I will definitely get to like more of what it is now and how the evolution has happened. But I'm curious as to those kind of initial versions, what was the product that you kind of launched with?
1: Yeah. So the initial product was a student goes on. We had to connect it to some kind of learning management system so that we're not, so students aren't having to create passwords and multiple accounts. And so it's really just single sign on based, Um, being able to go into tutor me seamlessly, then be able to search for a subject. At the time, we had a very limited amount of subjects um, to start off with because we wanted to really manage the supply of those. And then we had um, the student would go in through a matching process and then be able to connect with that tutor. Um, building the lesson space, we decided to pretty much not use any third-party tools, so it was <laughs> very proprietary. Uh, Victor was very adamant about making everything uh, from scratch and still is as a huge advocate of that for for many good reasons. And so we we decided to not really outsource anything that we did uh, on the tech side. And so we built an entire lesson space that that was composed of all kinds of tools um, completely from scratch so that it would work really effective. We would be able to manage it. Uh, we wouldn't be dependent on any kind of APIs in that sense. And so we, um, we had one engineer dedicated just the lesson space for about six months. And so that initial product was pretty rudimentary. But since we built everything from scratch, it took a long time. Um, and then, you know, now it's the, the products developed tenfold, but it was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty basic product in the sense that, um, it, it just did what it needed to do. But again, we, we built everything um, from the ground up. So that made it a little bit more challenging.
0: Why did you want to build it from the ground up in the first place though?
1: So it was back, back then there was really no pr- product experience besides Victor um, Victor had built many products before. He's worked. He's worked at Groupon. He even built the original Kremlin website. Um, and he he was very adamant about building something that would work really, really fast, and you wouldn't have to be dependent on any kind of jQuery plugins and things like that. Um, he he really wanted to be super clean and super fast. So he had no interest in working uh, with other people's codes. <laughs>
0: You mentioned earlier too. I know you you said you got into a number of schools, and not not all of them kind of you know worked in terms of getting your process early on of having them be, be basically customers essentially. But then, how did the growth go after those initial schools came on board? Was it just kind of rinse and repeat, or did it, did the process change of of signing up more and more schools and and having more partnerships?
1: When when doing anything with B two B, the the first customers are by far the hardest. Once we started to build credibility and we had a good amount of schools under our belt. Um, Let's say, typically schools really care about, and I think this goes for some other customer, some a lot of customers really, is that they really want to not just see that the best of the best are using it, or maybe a school that's not related to them, but they want to see a school that is competing for the same students or a a same regional school um, that is using it. So, off the bat, we didn't have a lot of schools. I mean, the first one is at least useful because they want to talk to references and and see if uh, if if you actually have provided a good product to another school whatever school that may be. But as time went on, it was even better to get testimonials from schools that were actually maybe in the same state or uh, competing for those exact same students. So over time, as we really got to build momentum on schools, it became easier and easier. And it's, um, and I wouldn't say it's, it's easy now, completely easy, but it's, it's gotten to the point where we have so many schools and so many partners that, um, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of advocates of the product, so that that makes it so much easier. Um, those first two customers were sold really um, without any kind of pitch deck. It was all verbal over the phone. When they actually told us they were gonna they were gonna sign the deal, we were pretty shocked, and we <laughs> didn't have a um, uh, we didn't have QuickBooks set up. Um, so they asked us how they were gonna send us a check. We didn't have any way of. I think we had just got in a business account just before, like a few days prior, and we. Um, we, we asked them to send it to our address and we had a home address for the first, um, year of doing sales. Um, they were just sending it to a, to a home in Los Angeles.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> With that too. I mean, how are you figuring out the pricing model behind this? What do you want this to look like on the, on the business side, the business model behind it? We,
1: we initially thought we could just start spitballing some prices to different schools and just gauge their reaction. Um, then we realized we probably have to do this a little bit more polished and we decided to reach out to, um, a lot of it was about 50 schools, um, just a, a good assortment of different kinds of schools that had used our ACT or GRE courses, and we reached out to them and said, instead of selling them on it, we just said, if we were to do this, what would be a, a, a comfortable price range for you? And so we did that with a lot of schools, and we realized that that was probably better than um, giving schools sticker shock and then seeing them. Um, you know, we weren't even doing video confer- we weren't doing video calls at the time. Um, it was just all over the phone. So it would be kind of hard to determine someone's eyebrow, um, going up. So I, I thought that it would be a lot better to just have a, a nice sample of schools that would just tell us what they were uh, willing to pay and see, um, how elastic, um, the demand was.
0: And, and from that, then understanding you kind of played around with that, get an idea of, you know, what you could charge. Obviously you had customers on board, customers were paying you, sending it to your home address. Uh, and that was from you know I had this pre-seed money that you you raised. At what point did you raise that like one point three million dollar seed round then?
1: So that was from the same um, angel investors. Um, over time, they 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 really liked what was happening and the, the growth. Um, we never um, really raised a, a venture round until later, or we never tried to ra- raise a venture round until later on, uh, a few years later, and we were able to raise that from our uh, from our initial. Angel investor in the UK. And then we were able to, um, shortly after, be able to raise an angel around and we joined the the launch
0: accelerator program um, run by Jason Calcanis. How'd you decide to join that program? I heard a lot about it. I had a number of founders on this show that have gone through it as well. But I'm just curious from your perspective, Miles, how'd you decide to join that one?
1: You know, it was, it just, I was just a huge fan of Jason. I um, listened to his podcast a lot. I think that's how, how a lot of people um, find out about the, the accelerator program. Um, I, reached out to him actually via email when I was uh, in Palm Springs one weekend where you know we were thinking about raising a venture round and we, we truly were trying to weigh the pros and cons of it. And I decided to just email him back. Um, and I didn't realize that it truly was an inbox that he was gonna read. And it was just personal email when I did reply. And so he emailed me back and we started going back and forth throughout the day about um, some of the metrics and things that were going on at TutorMe. And then he asked us to apply. And so I think it was a few weeks later it was just the right timing where that's when they were reviewing all the applicants. Um, we went up to SF and then presented and got into the final round and
0: they, uh, they asked us to jump on board to the accelerator. That's awesome. And, and from that as well, I understand that, like, you know, there's probably, I assume there were other people in this space doing something similar, but I could be wrong, but what was the competition? Like, take me through like at that time as well, in terms of competition for, for tutor me, like what you, were you seeing where it's difficult because the competitors coming in or was not even much of a thing at that point?
1: Yeah. So at the time, there wasn't a lot of really sophisticated um, online tutoring platforms. Um, there was there was Chegg, who just acquired uh, a tutoring platform, and the the model is just very different. They they really some of the other platforms out there. Um, they they want the students to be paying directly. Uh, we wanted the school to be paying, and so we also we also felt that there was a need for a lot more subjects than, than just uh, your, your standard core subjects. We wanted to offer that 300 plus that we do now. So I think that the way that we approached it, we really want to be an advocate for the student, um, for their actual learning. And so we feel that our brand and, and what TutorMe does is something that all educators really support.
0: From that as well, then Miles, you you went from that that point in time where you went through the launch accelerator with Jason Calcanis, which uh, like I said, people have raved about going through that. A- at that point, then after going through that, what how did the business evolve? Did it just continued growth. I'm curious as to how how the business changed after going through that experience. And I'm you know I know you're in that program. You get access to different investors and obviously some some teaching and lessons as well from him. How did you change the business or how did it evolve from there after going through launch?
1: so before so when we started the the accelerator that was kind of when i stopped uh, traveling um with the engineering team prior to that we we'd gone to russia we went to bali then we went back to russia then we went to chile then we went to mexico and all those times were three to months three to four maybe even five months since for, for mexico it was about five months so we spent a lot a lot of time together and it was so product heavy we felt that it was time to um Really focus on more than just um, product and sales, and try to. We thought we would learn a lot, and we did um, from joining the program. And the goal of the program at the Launch Accelerator is to raise venture funding. So we felt that that would be a nice segue from um, kind of the the Wild West of of product land, where we were going all over the world, and and kind of solidifying um, what we were going to do with with venture capital and and get. Um, really sophisticated investors involved. And we started to raise money through that. And we learned a whole lot through the raising process by being, not only by being in the program, but physically being in San Francisco for those weeks. Um, I believe it's a 10-week program. And we were there. I was there for, for most of the time, would come back to LA a little bit here and there, but for most of the time I was there. So it was just a really, really great experience, especially coming from, and I think a lot of the the folks that end up joining the program are not from the Bay Area. So being from LA, being a startup from LA, and I mean, we're based in LA, but we were, we were all over the world. And to this day, we still have employees um, kind of remote all over the place, but it's, it's, I think it's a really good way for us to, to kind of hunker down and, and say, you know what, we're going to get, um, not serious about this, but we're going to, we're going to become uh, a venture back company now.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's a a change within that. And on the fundraising note as well for other entrepreneurs out there, you know, or looking at raising funding, any particular lessons that stand out, things that stand out from that experience around fundraising that you would tell other entrepreneurs?
1: I'd say just start early. It's a, it's a long process. There's a lot of uncertainty to uh, the fundraising process. And, um, you know, you, you might meet the right investor early on, but it's, it's something that where you have to prepare to really be rejected a lot and so e- even the best of the best companies now that have have raised series Cs, series ds they in their series A rounds they were most likely rejected a ton so I I know that this is kind of something that that a lot of people say but it's it's really true it's it's hard to get something that you've really put all of your your heart and soul into um, and in my case Traveled all over and was living in apartments <laughs> deep in Moscow, and, and 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 getting investors to tell you that you know this is not the right thing for them um, is is a little disheartening at first. But then you realize to have tougher skin, and you realize that that's just part of the game.
0: With that as well, how did your either you know your your pitch evolve, or you know the story behind the company evolve as you're going through that process and getting these no's? Like, how did you use that feedback to to adapt, to iterate? Like, I'm curious about that as well, Miles.
1: So the program was really good about that. So at, at launch, we would pitch in front of uh, ten investors every week. We would get feedback from all of the investors. There would be a, kind of a, a a panel that would decide you know, how well everyone did, and then we would develop the pitch um, throughout those ten weeks. And every, especially in those first couple of weeks, uh, Jason and his team were, were very critical as they should be. And. The, the pitch changed a lot and it became much more buttoned up, much much more succinct and to the point, um, getting rid of the things that investors don't care about and then adding in the things that they do. It was just a it was a it was a process that you had to constantly iterate.
0: On that note, too, um, just going from what you said earlier around the team and being, you know, you're based in L.A. per se, but really the teams all over the place. Obviously COVID has kind of thrust people into this this idea of remote working and you know hiring people from all across the the world, all across the country, et cetera. For you, how do you look at hiring? How do you approach hiring for for TutorMe in terms of, you know, looking whether it be location, whether it be how you're actually finding people? I'm just curious as to how you've been approaching that, Miles.
1: You know, TutorMe by design is is remote in a sense that all of our tutors are remote, and um, we really have have been advocating and as as remote learning Grows, We grow as well. So from the very beginning, we're very much on board with remote remote work um, as all of our tutors, 10,000 plus of them are all remote. Um, And then I was remote for a very long time with the other engineers. So, you know, when COVID, when COVID started happening, we realized that, um, you know, the way that we were doing things wasn't really going to change. So we, we do have an office in LA, but we are open to having good talent wherever it may be, so that's something that really didn't change for us um and And we think that long term it it's really great that so many companies are are now open to remote work
0: yeah, and on that note with the with the tutors themselves, obviously, there's the getting the universities on board or other partners on board, but there's also the tutors. <laughs> How have you approached then bringing on new tutors in the process of even onboarding them for the platform
1: so early on. We, we we knew that we we didn't want to have to spend a lot of money acquiring tutors and not a lot of effort doing that. So we made it a, a a strong effort in the beginning to make sure that our tutor application process um, was very SEO friendly and that we would keep people on the platform for a while applying. By 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 design, it would make sense because we we were want to do really good vetting, but Google realized that we were, we were a really great place for these kinds of keywords about applying to become a tutor or be become an online tutor, these kinds of things. So really from the get-go, and that was the first thing that we really launched was a tutor application. We wanted to have a ton of tutors by the time we launched. Um, we ended up launching later than, later than we wanted to, obviously, but uh, by the time we launched, we had um, something around 2,000 tutors that were ready to start uh, using the platform.
0: And along the way as well, so you, you bring on tutors, you've obviously grown this company over the first number of years, gotten funding, made a lot of progress. What prompted then the acquisition by by Zovio in 2019?
1: So that was around the time that we were in the, the launch accelerator program and we we were raising around. We had a great investor that was going to be jumping on board with us, but we realized that it was... I think the best thing for the company and, and stakeholders at play to to join a large company like Zovio that would be able to provide us resources and help us out, and we felt that it was a it's a really natural ecosystem that they're creating at Zovio um, to be able to um, offer our services alongside um, all of the partners that they're that
0: they're going to be offering it to. How did that change in terms of, uh, you know, operating you with the, with the resources they had then utilizing those resources after the acquisition, uh, changing how you run the company. I'm just curious on how that kind of evolved. Cause there's a lot, you know, a number of people who are going to eventually sell their business and either work with them or potentially leave. But I'm curious for you, your experience after the acquisition, like how was that miles?
1: Yeah. So there, there's, um, I think I'll, there's a, there's more experiences that are negative, I think, after a post acquisition in terms of like the relationship and how the founder um, feels about it. But I think that in this case, it, it's been such a pleasurable experience and we have so much more to grow and they understand that. And they they let us operate as a startup that you, would, um, you wouldn't you would really know that was really backed by, by a larger company. Um, so we are very still lean um, and we operate really similar to the way we did the pre pre acquisition, so I'm really happy about that. Um, I don't think I could have asked for for better partners in that sense. But again, that's not that's not everyone's experience, um, and that's really hard to gauge, especially when um, you're going through an acquisition and um, you know there's sometimes you overlook those kinds of things uh, given the the financial gain.
0: Yeah, and with that as well, then and understand the acquisition that happened and you know why you started the company in the first place, Miles what is the, the the big vision for for you guys at tutor me like what's next for you what are you trying to to do moving forward
1: so ultimately what we're trying to achieve is here here in north america us and canada really we're we're really trying to make sure that no students ever feel lost that's ultimately our goal is that whether you're you're in 3rd grade you're a graduate school at a at a, at a at a pharmacy school we don't we don't want you to ever feel lost at whatever time of day it is, whatever time of night. It truly is our motto where we we feel that there's a lot, a lot of students that don't ask for help or would want help, but just don't have the means to. And we're trying to completely change that.
0: One of the things that I, I want to go back to as we kind of gone through this story, and I know I, some things were glossed over that I... I bookmarked in my head to come back to uh a number of them one of them being i know i I, in my research i've read that you mentioned one of the things you'd suggest to other founders and everything especially early on is is getting good lawyers (laughs) can you take me through some of the the things that that was helpful for in terms of early on with your business miles
1: you know it's um in when you want to create a business especially when you're young um and you're in college. You you want to create a business that you also want to have co-founders. And, that, and there's a reason why investors like to have C co-founders because you want to have complementary skill sets and you want a support system. Um, typically, companies that just have one founder um, is isn't really a, a, something that investors are very uh, stoked about. We, when you build a company when you're when you're young, um, you don't have a huge network. Um, you don't have a lot of experience working. So. You know your kind of go-to is I want to start this company, and the nearest person to you is kind of the person that you want to start the company with, right? Um, so it's it's something where in, that person is typically when you know one of your good friends. So I think that it's it's something overlooked that when people start a company, and a lot of times companies don't work out, so it never actually really um, blows up in anyone's face. But when a company does work out, it does create problems that if you don't have vesting in place and you don't have really good governance, then you ultimately are going to create a lot of headache for yourself. If another founder ends up not really uh, putting in the effort and doesn't commit to it like they should. Right. And that's, and that's something that it's really hard to, to relate to someone because the friend relationship is so much different than maybe the business relationship and then they become intertwined and just creates a bit of a mess. And so it's so much easier to just get that out of the way and have proper governance so that those things don't happen. There's a reason why when you raise a series A, there's some cleanup done in terms of all kinds of things at the company, but a lot of it has to do with vesting. And and there's, there's reasons for that because sometimes things don't go the way you expect them to
0: go. Yeah. And I think it's important that you bring that up because it's like starting off right away on the right foot is, is important, but some of the things that... You're probably not going to think about it as an entrepreneur early on, especially if you're young, as you mentioned, but it is such, such an important thing to to note. And there's a lot of different um, information out there around that so people can dive deeper into it, of course, and even set how you set up your your, your raise when you're raising capital and et cetera. But um, I wanted to bring that up because I think it's important people understand that, especially earlier stage founders or people just kind of thinking about launching something. The other thing I want to go back to, I know the, you know, the Lyft ambassador program was, was kind of such a, a huge thing for you guys. And a number of different questions, just curious as to first one that I, I know you mentioned, you kind of pitched it to them, um, after hearing about Uber and like you wanted to do this thing. What were you thinking at the time? You just like wanted something, uh, like a, a side hustle of sorts to, you know, try to make some, some extra cash on this. And do you think it would be as big as it ended up being for you guys?
1: Yeah, I did not think it was going to be that big. Um, I've always had side hustles um, from from a young age. My my dad uh, was a huge advocate of uh, of not giving much of an allowance so that I can go out and find it on my own. So from a young age, I was starting car wash companies on the street and 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 doing things like that to make extra money because there was things I wanted to get and my parents couldn't or didn't want to give give me those things so that I would go out and do it right. And I, I wanted to just make do something that I always just had side hustles going on all the time, and so the the lifting turned into much bigger than just a side hustle. I ultimately was a was a college student um, at USC, where uh, a lot of a lot of students do have a lot of discretionary income, and so I wanted to basically fill in the gap where you know there's there's students that are able to go on these kinds of trips and do these kinds of things, and they're gonna there's gonna be obviously a senior uh, Euro trip coming up that friends are going to want to go on. Um, a lot of them, their parents are paying for, I need to figure out a way to make money. Um, so I, and, and the, you know, the, the job at the, the gym on campus wasn't really cutting it. <laughs> um, so I decided, um, to, to go through this program and, you know, Ari and I, we, we pitched lift on it. Um, we really tried to stack them up against Uber because it was a huge, huge competition, um, still is. And they, uh, they were really, st- that's what really got them excited is that Uber was paying out um, a pretty hefty price tag for, for uh, these referrals. And we were able to run the program and um, we were able to run the program under Lyft and then decide what was going to be the commission of everyone under us. So it basically all flew in through us. um, And we were able to start off just with campus. We did really well. Like I said, we went to LA and then um, when we started doing nationally, that's when we started recruiting, uh, all of these ambassadors ourselves. We had an like, incredible network and the entire referral program at Lyft was running through miles and Ari. Um, so it was, it was pretty, it was pretty wild. And we were in our small studio apartment. We were a studio apartment at USC. There was three of us living there. Um, it, w- it was, um, three of us in, a, I think 300 square foot apartment and we were all uh, I was bunking with someone and we're pretty much, I was, I would say that I was working pretty outside of class, um, entirely just in my boxers uh, in the, in like the little living room that we had um, <laughs> just typing away, figuring out all kinds of ways that we can get more users for Lyft and recruiting more ambassadors and the checks that they were sending. Well, those checks and then it became direct, direct deposits. And they would change every month how they were sending money to us. They would send us Excel files um, every month about the payouts. And sometimes Excel files would include all of Lyft's uh, users for that month. Uh, and they w- <laughs> they didn't show us just our users that we got. Um, and it was just a really wild, there was a lot of turnover at Lyft at the time just because of how fast they were growing. And... Um, it was a, our entire senior year. So this was when we pitched to them, it was 2012, the summer of 2012. So right after they had like been founded, we pitched them, they were launching in LA that next school year. And pretty much my entire senior year was composed of trying to go to class as much as I could, but every second outside of class, I just did not have no interest in going to parties and things like that. I would spend all my time just trying to make more money for Lyft because from my perspective, this was a an incredible window of opportunity. Um, where i was going to be able to make a lot of money um and at the time i had student loan debt um and because of Lyft and this whole program um and us working our asses off through the whole <laughs> senior year i paid i paid all my entire loan it's off um i think the month before i graduated um so it was uh it was really really nice it was super fun I learned a lot um but it was just an incredibly wild experience every Every day we couldn't believe what was actually happening that, you know, we were basically running the, the ambassador program at Lyft as opposed to them doing it in house.
0: That is, it's crazy. Uh, I remember like reading a little bit about, it. I was like, oh my God, I have to ask them about this. And, and with it too, like, why do you think they, you know, why you think you two are the ones that they said, yeah, like you guys can go have at it. Like, what was it about, you know, the email or the pitch or what, anything about it you think that stood out to them?
1: I think, I think a big part of it was just confidence. I mean, we just had, um, we, we just, we just had the, the, the confidence to reach out to them. We were really assertive in the way we did it. And ultimately, I mean, if, if you kind of peeled the onion back and we were providing awesome results, but if you peel the onion back, you realize that we were, we were just two college kids that had really no marketing experience. Um, we just hustled, um, and I was hustling day and night on this. And, um, my, my girlfriend, um, who's not my fiance was, was really upset with how much I was working <laughs> on Saturdays and Sundays. Just, I, I mean, I literally did not, I don't think I, I would be in my bathrobe for, for days and days at a time. I didn't really care that much about a lot of things. I'm really just focusing on this. And if they had seen, I guess, um, you know, that we were kind of these, um, We were just college students, like all stacked up into a studio apartment. We might have had a little bit of a different perception um, cast upon us because, you know, they would have been these—they are not as sophisticated. But since we were behind the veil of email, and we were, we we kind of gave off this uh, perception that we know what was what, what we were doing. But in the end, we we did know, and we did do an amazing job, and we did acquire an incredible amount of users. And some of the marketing tactics that I used were just. Were, were, were pretty wild and and, and, we, um, and we were able to acquire a lot of users for them. So it, I think it was a really mutually beneficial situation, um, but had they known going into it who we were, um, they might've just passed us off as just, um, you know, just college kids that don't know anything. Um, and that kind of led into a lot of other consulting gigs over that next few months after we've stopped working with Lyft. It was about a year that we worked with them. After that, we had a lot of companies approach me and asking you know how we can build an ambassador program at our company and things like that so it really Evolved really fast, and it was a really exciting time.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a crazy story in terms of that as well. And and I wanted to bring that up as well because I was curious about you know some of those tactics you mentioned because I you you've maybe heard of other you know referral programs or ambassador programs out there. I know like Dropbox, or people have done interesting things, or even Morning Brew more recently um, did a, a kind of great referral program and how they've brought more people onto their newsletter. But what were some of the the things that worked best? I mean, I don't have to share everything, but I anything around kind of growing an ambassador program for other entrepreneurs out there who are Considering using this for you know their startups, I'd be curious to hear any of your perspectives on that, Miles.
1: Yeah, so I think um, there's a lot of things that we did, um, but everything everything was driven by our scrappiness. And so I it, it it's kind of the same thing with with TutorMe, where if I'm doing something, I, I I obsess over it to the point where I'm just thinking about it um, day and night in my sleep, just trying to think of new ways to do things. And it's one of those things where you know, the the tactic can work um really well um for maybe other companies, but there's nothing like the first time that you do it where it's that effective. And I think that, that this particular tactic that I'm gonna explain is a little is, is, is one of those. We realized that we were gonna have a bunch of ambassadors, we had a lot of other tactics and a lot of like, grassroots things that we were doing as well. But one of the things that really scaled well was actually going into at the time and and I don't even think this is possible anymore, but <laughs> Facebook events were were a really big thing and we realized that we found a way to to scrape uh facebook to be able to determine how many how many uh events were going on and what were the top events in each city and we would go on those events and we would start posting facebook or sorry Lyft promo codes uh into into these events and so we kind of just did that just very manually at first Um, we realized that because we had so many codes we were determining what tactics worked across the codes. And we saw that after the first week, um, us just posting a little bit in LA events um, was in some of the top LA events. And it only took you know a few minutes of our time. We're getting some great uh, some, some great traffic. And so we decided, okay, we're gonna scale that up a bit. We're gonna do it across some more cities. And then it evolved into a whole automated process where we were completely automating this whole process. And we were pretty much, Facebook was, was at the time, um, didn't really know that this was happening and they eventually caught on to it and facebook was really really good at finding out um re- whether we were a real person or we were coming we were doing multiple posts but then we got even better at figuring out how to uh to bypass all these systems and so we um we were able to it was kind of a, a every week a war uh, a kind of um, digital war with Facebook and, and figuring out how we can uh, how we can do these posts and how we can get better input and and what the great thing about it is that with when you're when you're posting something trying to advertise something on a Facebook event there's really nothing more applicable and helpful than hey you know this is an event at 8 p.m. where there's going to be drinking um, why don't you take a free ride with Lyft yeah <laughs> um, you know that wouldn't have worked with many other companies and. It, it worked so well and it was so natural that we didn't actually get a lot of, um, we didn't get a lot of pushback uh, from event organizers or people that are going to the event. Um, obviously there were some folks that were kind of annoyed, but we um, we did that for a very long time. And some other Lyft ambassadors tried to come and Uber ambassadors tried to, uh, tried to replicate the same thing. But for a very long time, we actually had um, complete authority with Lyft to do this. And, No one at any other, no other ambassador, no one else um, could actually do this without our permission. So it was kind of like we were, this was our corner, our block.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. I think it's just, just to highlight, you know. Being creative in how you acquire customers, being creative uh, as an entrepreneur, I and mean, that's a big part of it. You're finding ways that you can get an advantage in some capacity. And if you look at the examples of, of entrepreneurs again and again, they find ways of, of doing it. They find ways of, you know, building viral loops. They find ways of, you know, acquiring customers for free, potentially. And there's so many different things you can you can do around that if you are creative and you find loopholes. And, and to your point then work your ass off to, to make these things happen. And I think it's important that you, you mentioned that and I appreciate you sharing as well. And, and just to bring things full circle back to uh, TutorMe, tutor me, where can people go to learn more about this and connect with you as well?
1: Yeah. So if, if you're uh, if you're in need of tutoring, tutor me.com is an excellent source. If your, your, your school may, or your employer even, um, and we're working with a lot of employers now to offer this as an employee benefit. So, um, we're working with so many now that I, I would uh, encourage um, listeners to to reach out to their school um, to see if they already offer TutorMe as a, as a free service.
0: That's awesome. And Miles, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Justin.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well. You can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.